Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 2.42 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. Hey everyone, let's pray shall we? Lord we thank you for everything that you are and for everything that you want to say to us this evening. I pray that our hearts would be ready and I pray that, um, that, that your word would land on good soil this evening. Help us to hear you and help us also to have hearts that are willing to obey you. In your name, Amen. Amen. So as you know, we're looking through uh, the doctrinal statements of the Apostles' Creed. I never thought I'd actually start a sermon saying a sentence like that. But here we are. And, uh, and this week, we're at the section, we're looking at the section that's, that talks about Jesus and says, He ascended into heaven, He sits at the right hand of God the Father. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. So we're talking about Jesus the judge this evening. But what does that mean to you? What does the word judge mean to you? We have to understand what that means before we truly understand what it means that Jesus is going to judge us. And it may be that you feel judged sometimes because, because of the things that you wear, because of your choice of footwear, or maybe you should be judged, to be fair, or because of the things that you say or your accent or the way that you look, maybe sometimes you feel judged because of those things. Maybe when you think about the word judge, uh, these people pop into your head. Judge Judy. Or Judge Dredd. Judge Judy or Judge Dredd. Maybe you think about competitions like Britain's Got Talent, The Voice, where people are doing things and hoping that the judge will notice them. On that, the thing that, that really gets my attention about competitions is you are trying to, well, not me, but the people there are trying to impress the judges enough to get the judges, in the voice, to get the chair to turn around or for the judges to say, yes, you're through to the next round. You're trying to prove to the judge that you are good enough. That's the whole point of the competition. Hey? And if we translate that to thinking about God, we're living in such a way that we're trying to prove to God that you are good enough. Let me just help you with that. You're not. You're just not. The Bible says we're not. We are not good enough. So it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter what you do or what you give up or what you lay aside. You are not good enough. And if you close in prayer there, that would be the worst sermon <laughs> on the planet. You are not good enough. But the Bible says that Jesus died for us. And it says that because of that, it refers to Christ as our righteousness. And so you may not be good enough. But he was good enough, and he is good enough. And if we've come to that place where we recognize that, and we, we hold on to the fact that Jesus is good enough, that when God looks at us, he sees what Jesus did, then that's okay. We don't have to be good enough, because he is good enough. 
and he makes us good enough. That's not in my notes. Maybe when you think about judges, you think about this picture of Lady Justice, which is a statue in the Old Bailey. It's a statue that appears all over the world on courts or anything to do with law and judgment, a symbol for our court system. And in some places, Lady Justice has a blindfold because you will have heard the phrase, justice is blind. But hopefully you've heard the phrase, justice is blind. And the idea behind that is that justice should be impartial. When people are making decisions, handing down decisions, it should be impartial. It should not be swayed by popular opinion or by money, for example, or by um, anything else. It should just be, this is right or this is wrong. I am fascinated, though, to discover that in the 1500s, when Lady Justice, the statue, first started appearing with a blindfold, it was for exactly the opposite reason. She started appearing with blindfold with a blindfold on because the people who were making it were saying, actually, the people who are making decisions in our courts are acting like they can't properly see justice, and they are not impartial, and they are... Um, perverted by power or by the lure of money, and so they can't actually see properly to make good decisions. So that's interesting. It's interesting that the way it started and the way we, we represent it today are two different things. But actually, in any, in any of those cases that we've talked about, the Judge Judy, the Judge Judy, Judge Judy, Judge Dredd, competitions, lady justice, in none of those circumstances did the judge take the punishment before having that opportunity to speak with the defendant. Yeah? None, in none of those cases did the judge actually take the punishment. No other judge paid the penalty for the crime before getting to the court. The Bible says that Jesus took the judgment for our sin. And let me be very clear with this. When we're talking about Jesus judging us, for those of us who believe, we're not talking about sin. Let me show you why. John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. See, if we're in that place where we have recognized who Jesus is, we see that we can't do it on our own, that we're not good enough, and we have said, God, will you come? Jesus, will you come? Will you wipe me clean? Will you wash my sin away? Will you take my place? If we have come to that point, we've given our lives to Jesus. Jesus does not judge us for sin because he has taken our judgment already. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 to 12. So why does, what, what are we talking about judgment for? Romans 14, 10 to 12 says this, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's a bit scary, that. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. I think the question God will be asking will be this. 
What have you done with what you've been given? What have you done with what you've been given? Let's look at another scripture in case you think I'm wandering off the path somewhere. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Amplified Version says, We'll be held responsible for our actions, purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of time, opportunities, and abilities. I know. I don't like that verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he is our foundation. Understanding who he is and what he has done, giving our lives to him, being at that place where we have decided that we will follow Jesus, that is our foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed of fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only is one escaping through the flames. So, Acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, understanding who he is and what he has done for us, that is great. It is great because that means the difference between eternal life and eternal separation from God. So that is great, but that is the beginning. That is the foundation. That is where we start. And then what Paul is writing to the Corinthians about is he's saying the stuff that happens after that is the stuff that you build. And then that's the stuff that we're going to be judged on or tested on. That's the stuff that's going to be burned up or the stuff that will last. So my question to you and my question to me is, what are you building and what are you building with? You know, one of the, the longest recorded talks we have of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's called. And Jesus goes through lots of different Lots of different teaching. There's lots of great stuff in there. I do encourage you to, to read it and read it often. But Jesus ends his talk in a way that nobody ends their talks today. I mean, if I ended my talk today like Jesus did, you probably would be a little bit cross with me. This is how Jesus ends his talk. Yeah? So he's ta- he said loads of incredible things. The Beatitudes, the stuff about doing for others what, you, what you'd have them do for yourself, the stuff about examining yourself, don't be judging other people, you know, pointing out a speck when you've got a plank in your own eye, all of that kind of stuff, great stuff. Then Jesus talks about the parable of the wise and the foolish man. And he says, the wise man built a house on the, on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand, the rains came, the house on the sand collapsed, the house on the rock stood strong. Very clear, very clear parable, something that would have made sense to the people who were listening. And then he says, the people who build their lives on what I say are like the wise man. If you don't, you're like the foolish man. Thank you, good night. That's how he ends it. He doesn't say thank you, good night. I added that in. 
That's where he ends his talk. If you build your life on the things that I have said, you are wise. If you don't, you are foolish. So what are you building with? And what are you building on? If we're going to build our lives on the things that Jesus says, so when we get to that point where we have to stand before God and give an account for our lives, we will have something to talk about. It means daily engagement. It means review. It means accountability. It means that we have to take this seriously. So what are you building with? Three things to help us. First thing, build people, not possessions. Build people, not possessions. Jesus once said, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus said this to a young man who came to him, and I imagine he would have been very annoyed with Jesus' answer, because he came to him and said, Jesus, we've got some inheritance, me and my brother. Will you tell my brother to give me my fair share? And then Jesus, as he would do, does not really answer the question or the request. He says, a man's life does not consist the abundance of his possessions. Not really what that guy wanted to hear, but maybe what he needed to hear. If you look at the life of Jesus, you will notice that he does not collect possessions. Doesn't. What does he collect instead? People. He collected people. People followed him. He was invested in people. And not just invested in people, Jesus would talk to people that no one else was talking to. He would connect with people who were rejected by society because he was interested in building the kingdom of God with people and not with possessions. He has that encounter with a woman at the well of Samaria who was shunned by the village that she lived in, which is why she would have been at the well in the middle of the day, which is a crazy time to go and get water in the Middle East. Nonsense. But she had to do that because she wouldn't have been allowed to hang out with the other women who went early in the morning. So she's there in the middle of the day. Jesus sits, has an encounter with her. Or the leper that Jesus reaches out and touches. I mean, you had, if you had leprosy, you were banned from society. Because of the, the contagious nature of it, you were banned from society. You were not allowed to be around people. And so if you discovered that you had leprosy, that meant you would never be with your family again. And it also meant you would never be allowed to touch someone again. So when Jesus heals this leper and he touches him, I mean, it communicates so much that sometimes we miss because we're thinking, oh, it's a miracle, it's amazing Jesus healed the leper. But Jesus could have spoken and healed the leper, but he touched him. And I think that would have been the first time in years that that man was touched by another human being. Because Jesus built the kingdom with people. And he reached out to people. And he touched people. I'm not saying we go around to everyone and say, come follow me, like Jesus did. Because maybe that might be a call on your life. I don't know. Maybe you should, you know, spend some time in prayer and think that through. But the idea is that our investment should be about growing people, not growing our bank account balance. I'm also not saying you can't have a nice house and you can't have a nice car or a nice job or go on holiday. I'm not saying those things at all. Those things are great. But if they are the driving force of our lives, we've missed the point. We have missed the point. If that is the thing that drives us through life. 
if we want to be able to stand before God and give a great account of our lives, we need to build people, not possessions. And it's not something that is difficult. It's not something that's difficult. If you just took a moment and thought about the people who have helped you the most or have encouraged you the most or have made a difference in your life, I guarantee at some point it will be one conversation you had with one person and they probably don't even realize the impact that it had on your life. I can tell you loads of people I've had one conversation or they said one thing to me that just changed the way that I thought about myself, the way that I thought about God, and just had a huge impact on who I am today. And they probably don't even know that that happened. But what they were doing was building people. And it isn't difficult. And it isn't just for people who stand at the front or people who have a title. Anyone can encourage anyone else. We can all do that. So let's build people. Second thing, build his kingdom, not yours. Jesus said in the same um, talk that he did that's recorded in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do the things that God would want us to do. Put him first and everything else will be added to us. There are a few verses in the Bible that I don't like. I don't like them. I'll tell you that I don't like them. I'm being honest. I don't like them because they are hard and because I know that every time I see that verse, I have to do something. And that's why I don't like them. Okay? I'm not having some kind of theological debate. I just don't like them because they're hard. Yeah? The verse I'm going to read to you in a minute is one of those. I'm sorry. I don't apologize. No, sorry, not sorry. I don't see why I should have to carry this on my own. There's a verse in James. This is my least favorite verse. Verse in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, To him who knows to do the right thing and doesn't, it's a sin. So if you know you should do something that's the right thing to do and you don't do it, to you, that's a sin. I don't like that. Because that, that I mean, that takes it way past the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? That's like an everyday thing. It's a hard verse, but it's there in James. This verse is one of those. Because I think... I think as Christians, sometimes we can get excited about the idea of something new, and we can get excited about the concept of revival, and we should. And we get excited about learning something new from God's Word, and we should. We get excited about that stuff, but I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be so excited about finding the new, discovering something fresh, that we miss this. Paul was speaking to the Philippians. And he just says very simply, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. The things that you already know, put it into practice. Stop looking for new things. Put what you know into practice. The stuff that you have already received, that you already understand, that you already see in God's word, put it into practice. That's how we build his kingdom. We build his kingdom by putting his word into practice in our own lives because that shapes us. It shapes the way we think. It shapes the decisions that we make. It shapes the conversations that we have because we're putting his word into practice in our own lives. We build people, not possessions. We build his kingdom not ours. 
Let me tell you about this guy, Jadev Payeng. <coughs> he lives in India. And one day, while he was walking in an area near where he lived, he saw some dead snakes on the ground that were dried. They were dried in the sun. And he thought, that doesn't look good. Because if the animals can't find shelter, eventually the humans won't be able to find shelter. But what can, what can he do? And so he made a decision. He said to himself, I'm going to do something about this. Every day, I am going to plant a tree. Every day. So every day, before he had a farm, before he went to work on his farm, he would cycle to the river. He'd put his cycle in his boat. He'd row out to where this, this bit of land was, and he would plant a sapling every day. Today, there is a forest there that is an eighth the size of Warrington. Animals have come back. He's changed the ecology of that area and has received awards for conservation. Received, people have come from all over the world to see the forest that he himself has created because he committed himself to planting a tree every day. Now, he didn't plant a tree. Take a little photograph of himself on Instagram. <laughs> hashtag conservation. He didn't do that. He just committed to planting a tree, one tree a day. And this is my last point. If we're going to build something that lasts and something that can stand and something that we can give an account for our lives, very simply, we have to build consistently. Consistently. That forest is there because consistently he built one tree at a time. He planted one tree at a time. And you know, for some of us, it's not, that, it's not that we don't want to do the right thing. It's that we're impatient for the results. We want to see the things immediately. And I imagine for Jadev, he probably wanted to see the forest as soon as possible, but a tree takes a while to grow. And so he had to be patient, and he had to wait. But consistently, he planted a tree every day. And I wonder what would happen if... As people who follow Jesus, if we decided, I'm going to consistently do this one thing every day. I'm going to consistently encourage someone else. Find someone to encourage, just one person every day. I'm going to consistently sit and read God's Word every day. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to his disciples, if you occasionally, accidentally come across a bit of Scripture on Instagram, and you think, oh, that's good, that's pretty, I'm just going to like it, then you are my disciple. He didn't say that at all. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. That talks about intentionality. It talks about consistency. If you abide in my word. Two more scriptures and then we're done. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not get tired of doing good who will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let us work for the good of all, but especially those who belong to the household of faith. We have to be consistent in our approach to doing the things that God has asked us to do. We have to have that 
approach that says, this may take a while, but I'm going to build, and I'm going to build, and I'm going to build, because I want to build something that will last, not something that will burn up when the time comes for it to be tested. So to encourage us, Jesus the judge does not judge us for our sin if we have come to that place where we recognize that we need him, but our work will be judged. So what have you done with what you know? What are you doing with what you know? I want to pray a prayer over us, and uh, I want you to seriously consider it because in a moment I will ask you to stand if you're happy for me to pray this over you. But the Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossians, and he said, I'm going to pray for you, verse 9, and then verse 10 he says, I will pray that so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, so that you may please Him in every way, that you may bear fruit in every good work, and that you may grow in the knowledge of God. I think if we, if we lived under that prayer, I don't think it would be difficult for us to be people who were building His kingdom. And I don't think it would be difficult for us to be people who were building something that last, lasted, something that would stand in the time when we have to give an account for our lives. So let's be people who build people, not possessions, who build His kingdom and not ours, and who build consistently that we may honor Him, that we be faithful in the small things, that the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in us. So if you're happy for me to pray that over you, I'm going to be praying it over myself. I want you to stand where you are. <coughs> Just stand and bow your heads. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that, that you, pur you purchased our eternal salvation. We thank you that you set us free from sin. That's why you came. We thank you for that. We, we, don't, we don't take that for granted this evening. We thank you that you have taken us from death to life, that you've transplanted us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, we recognize that there is a, an expectation, a responsibility on us to do something with that once we have recognized all of this. And that we, we don't just take the box and say, that's great, I'm in heaven, I'm in the kingdom, and, and then we, we coast for the rest of our lives. There is an expectation that we apply your word to our lives, that we build something that honors you, that we love each other well, that we love you well. And that we respond to your calling on our lives. And so I pray that you will help us not to miss the things that you are calling us to. That we'll be bold and brave to say no to stuff that won't help us um, move closer towards the people you've called us to be. That we won't be afraid to, to take ourselves out of relationships, to take ourselves out of friendship groups, to take ourselves out of circumstances where we know it's not helpful for us. I pray for us, Jesus, that we would live lives worthy of you. I pray that you will help us to please you in every way. I pray you help us to bear fruit in every good work. 
And I pray, Father, that each of us will grow in our knowledge of you, that we would apply what we know to our lives, and that we would see, like you taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done in us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.